Did you know that there are at least 23 million American adults who can't read a one ad? Or a book? Or a job application? That's why we have RIF. RIF is Reading is Fundamental. It's a national nonprofit program that makes kids really want to read. Give a kid a book and you'll give a kid a break. Join the RIF program in your community. Or write RIF, Box 23444, Washington, D.C. Hey, you're pretty smart. How'd you get so smart? Reading. I find their illogic and foolish emotions constant irritant. Then transfer out! Freak! Belong in a circus, right next to the dog-faced boy. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass, and I'm all out of bubblegum. Cheap, lying, no good, rotten, four-flushing, low-life, snake-licking, dirt-eating, inbred, overstuffed, ignorant, blood-sucking, dog-kissing, brainless, dickless, hopeless, heartless, fat-ass, bug-eyed, stiff-legged, spotty-lipped, worm-headed sack of monkey shit. Ah! Hallelujah! Holy shit! Where's the Tylenol? And now, together by live simulation via the internet, Scott Gardner. He's an asshole. And Chris Honeywell. Boy, is he strange. It appears we have lost our sex appeal, Captain. Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. No, blah, blah, blah. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Two True Freaks. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Chris Honeywell. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. And I'm really looking forward to this one. Yes. Yes, I am too. We have been wanting to get to this for quite a while. And I want to say right at the uh, right at the beginning that, you know, if you saw the title that we put on the episode or, or the description of what the episode is about, that we are completely serious in this one. That I'm sure there'll be some joking around and some cutting up. But the subject matter itself, we are dead serious about. This is our reading episode in which we are basically going to... If you remember back a few episodes ago, we, we did an episode that was uh, basically spotlighting Chris's and, and mine's, uh, our, our taste in music, basically. You know, we played some tracks of some of our favorite music and stuff. So sort of consider this almost like a sequel to that, like a continuation of that basic theme only with books this time. And the, kind of the basic idea, this spun out of uh, something that Chris did, that you did, Way back, gosh, it was an early, early episode. You did like a like a funny like like fake commercial oh, type of thing, yeah, like, like a public service announcement. Yeah. And it was hysterical. It was absolutely hysterical. Where you were like, uh, you know, read a goddamn book once in a while. And I think this kind of spun out of that. We we <laughs> both every since then we kept talking that, you know, we had to do that one of these days. We had to do like a. You know, like a promoting literacy type of thing, you know, but but do it, you know, completely serious because, you know, we're really serious about getting people to, you know, pick up a goddamn book once in a while. So, you know, we, we both like the idea and we've been meaning and meaning to get to it. So we were finally like, all right, let's quit screwing around. Let's actually get it done. So we have both. Now, I'm not sure exactly how you did yours, but basically what I did was I just went through my bookshelves and everything. I compiled two lists 
I compiled a pretty lengthy list of like some of my favorite books, um, some book series I'm into, a few authors that I follow, that sort of thing. But basically, like a like a greatest hits list, you know, of Scott's books, and then a, just a very short list of um, some unread books, you know, some things that are on my nightstand that you know I'm hoping to get to, you know, sometime in the near future, kind of thing. So that that's kind of how I compiled my list. And uh, I just thought, how, how do you want to do this? Just kind of flow back and forth kind of thing? or Yeah, well, you know, one of the things, this this happened to me about a decade ago, is when I started to really notice this, is um, I worked at a restaurant, and the boss's kids worked there too. Uh-huh. And they were high school age. So all their friends would end up with, you know, dishwasher jobs and prep cook jobs, just sort of menial part-time jobs that they were doing over the summer for some extra money. So I was meeting all these kids, and I would say these kids were probably in the upper intelligence range of high school kids. They were smart kids, you know. They were, um, some of them were from poorer families, some of them were from the suburbs or whatever, but they were all, like, bright, outgoing, just generally good kids, nice kids. Right. And uh, I remember we were talking about something or something, and I said, well, you know, to one of them, you know, so have you read any good books lately? And he just went, (laughs) books, (laughs) come on. Right. He said, I don't read books, you know. Why would I want to read a book? And that just flabbergasted me because it it wasn't some dummy, you know. Right. It was was just your normal average kid and it's just like well what do you mean why wouldn't why would i want to read a book you know it's it's right it's it's like people saying why would why would i want to eat a, a piece of pie right you know well you know you've you've met scotty you know you've met both uh-huh. my kids you've you've been uh-huh. here to the house but you know scotty and and this is not me just being a bragging parent but scotty is literally in the gifted program he is an extremely intelligent child for his mm-hmm. age and he's been in the gifted program pretty much as long as he's been in school. So the child is extremely smart. You know, he's very, very bright. He's, uh, you know, got a, a, a vocabulary and a spelling ability and a comprehension ability well beyond his years, especially when it comes to, to reading. Cannot get that child to pick up a book. Cannot do it. I, I don't know. I don't understand what it is. It's exactly what you were just talking about. You know, just the idea of, hey, why don't you, you know, you want to read this book? It was really awesome. It's like, pfft. No, and I don't understand that. I, I think it's. I hesitate to say it's a generational thing because that makes you sound like you're 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 an old fart, you know, one of these get off my lawn guys. And I don't mean it that way, but I kind of wonder if it is somehow some sort of cultural generational shift or something going on to where kids, t- you know, these kids today they just don't want to read a book, you know. But I kind of wonder what what it is because yeah, I've. I, I see that. And it's not just with him. I, I hear him talk to his friends and it's the same type of thing with them. They're all into sure. video well, games. If he's and in the gifted and... if he's in the gifted program and he's like that, you gotta think of the kids who are the C students, you know? Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, you know, other than uh you know, Harry Potter, you know, what what are young people reading? And I kinda think they're not. They're they're reading Harry Potter and Harry Potter like things, and you know what? Thank God for that stuff. Yeah, oh yeah, but I mean, at, but at the same rate, you know, I mean, you you can't just have one 
thing, you know? See, the thing about it is I can see in our culture today and, you know, you can you can carry around your little video game system that you play games with on the school bus and you can watch a movie on it. Right. You know, at any time. So you have that media at your disposal at all times and it's just it's easier to watch a movie. And a movie is more in on the surface and in the short term it's got more flash and you know and sizzle than a right. book. Right. And I think books are often as we know, associated with school where they're crammed down your throat a lot of times. Or, you know, a book is chosen for you to read. Right. And then the whole class has to read it, and they tell you what you, you know, then you go over it, and the teacher tells you what you're supposed to get out of it, and then you have a test to see if you can remember that. And that that doesn't really help people want to read a book. No, it doesn't. And it doesn't help them appreciate, you know what it is to read a book <clears throat> and to get something out of it. I just watched a movie called uh, The War Against Kids about the education system. Oh my god. So painful. So painful. Basically, you know, just just showing the parallels between schools and prisons and they had a whole section on books and how, you know, kids looked at, at books right. which I thought I was watching it yesterday and I'm like wow how lucky I'm watching this the day before our reading show <laughs> and I think you know the the thing about it is you know I'm not gonna be the guy who says well watching movies and reading comic books and stuff like that is a, is a lazy way of right rot your brain doing yeah. So, yeah rots your brain and and you know read you know read a goddamn book I, I'm gonna say read a goddamn book, but the, the media in itself like that is not bad. No, you know it's it's not bad to watch a movie. I love watching movies. I went to film school for Christ's sakes. Right. Um. Uh. But if if you took all my stuff that I own, all my Star Wars stuff, um, all my records from my huge record collection, all my media. The thing I have the most of is is books. Right. My ro- my room is literally lined floor to ceiling right now with books, and I'm thinking about having to move some of the Star Wars stuff to a, a different territory to put some more books in that I found, <laughs> that I just dug out, you know. And uh, I think there's, you know, I think I sort of had a I had very active grandparents in my education before I even went to school when I was like three years old they were teaching me how to read street signs and by the time I hit kindergarten I was already reading you know and they weren't going to really teach you to actually read until first grade right so I had a head start and I just took to it you know and when I when I hit school I was encouraged you know insanely by the teachers so you know, I read all the time, and there were books laying around our house. And before you knew it, I was getting into the grown-up books and reading them, like in kindergarten, first grade, which I'll get into that later, into <laughs> into the rot your brain, into, you know, how books can uh, affect your brain. But Oh, yeah. That was literally the first thing in life that, you know, I just completely fell in love with doing. You know, activity was reading and uh, in elementary school, you know, I had, I had a friend, 
And what we did when we hung out was we'd sit around and read books quietly to ourselves. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it was a, you know, we loved doing it. You know, I mean, it was. Who was that you were telling me? Mike McMahon? That... Mike McMahon. Yeah. The valedictorian yeah. of our uh, Oh, that's right. Class. Yeah. Yeah. You ever, you and... keep in contact with him? No, I don't keep in contact with hardly anybody from high school. I've, I saw up when they were organizing our, um, it must have been the twentieth reunion. Yeah, I saw a picture of him after, afterwards. You know, everybody sent in sort of current pictures, and I saw a picture of him, and uh, he he just looks like a sort of little pudgier version of, with a little bit of gray. He looks a lot like his his dad used to look, <laughs> which hey, you know <laughs> that's how that works, but uh, yeah, you know, so we were you know we were we would sit around and and, and read books. And uh, I think what people don't understand is reading a book is a completely different process than watching a movie right? or reading a comic. Reading a comic is, to your brain, probably more like reading a book than watching a movie. And I would think, like, listening to a radio play or an audio book would be even another step towards a book. But nothing beats written text. Right. As far as I'm concerned, for the experience. Written text, a book, this this is how I would put it to any kid that, that has any kind of, I guess, Star Wars experience, or Star Trek experience, pardon me. Books are the closest thing you'll ever get to a holodeck. Yes. They are the holodeck, basically. You, when you read a book, you are creating a you, between you and the writer of that book, in cooperation with each other. You are creating a world and a reality unique to any to anybody else who reads it. You know, the, the, there's always the element of the author and his words are the constant element. But once somebody else's imagination gets put into play, and now I'm talking about most for the most part fiction. You know, mm -hmm. where you're where you're you know, coming up with a storyline and creating characters and stuff like that. But the same goes also for say, you know, a more documentary book or something like that. Right. But you know, parts of your brain are being engaged and used that aren't normally being engaged and used in say a movie. Those parts can just uh, relax and and hang out, you know, during a movie and let your eyes take care of all that, you know. Somebody else has done all the work for showing you what everything looks like and what people's voices sound like. It's not, a, it's, that's not a bad thing, again, but there's something special about a book. That's why, that's why whenever you hear anybody who's read a book before they see a movie, they say, ah, oh, the, you know, the movie never lives up to the book. It, it's never as good. It was a good movie, but it was just not as good as a book because nothing will beat your own imagination, period, in your head. That's the projector in your your holodeck. <coughs> I, completely, I completely agree. <laughs> I had some sort of weird frog in my throat there. but uh, Flag him. Fla it's just flag him. <laughs> So where do we want to uh, where do we want to start with this whole shebang? Well, um, let's uh, let's just start with a little uh, like tour of of our uh, 
of our bookshelves. Now, cool. what would you, what would you say you read most mostly? You know. Well, I'm glad you asked me that because I want to get that right out of the way at the beginning. Um, you know, we uh, the the sort of the ground rules. I, I, this probably doesn't apply to you near as much as it pretty much just applies to me. Um, I took comics, Star Wars, and Star Trek right off the table at the get go because that is what I mostly read is uh -huh. you know comic books and not just for the show but just for my own you know my own enjoyment and my own off time <laughs> what what off time whatever that is yeah. yeah but you know seriously you know that is the the primary thing i read is comic books first and foremost and then i always have at least two books sitting on my nightstand that you know i try to get to you know a chapter every so often or whatever um but those are usually star wars and star trek books and so what I tried to do with this is concentrate on anything but comics, Star Wars, or Star Trek. So that, that's what I brought to the table. I won't be talking huh. about any of that stuff tonight. But that, that would be the primary stuff. I have but, another question for uh -huh. you. Are you, a, are you a bathroom reader? Do you have a book oh, yeah. by the toilet usually? No, well, I don't leave anything in the bathroom because I'm always afraid of, you know, the, the water damage, you know, the con... con what are they, what do they call it? Condensation, Condensation damage or whatever. So I don't actually leave anything in there. But I, yeah, whenever, you know, because my, my wife just always gives me that eye roll when I'm headed to the bathroom because she can tell when I'm going to be in there for a while because I take something to it up. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I grab a comic or a, a book or, you know, something to take in there with me. So, yeah, I, I'm one of those people where I don't give myself reading downtime. I mean, if I'm going to be doing something whether it's, you know, being in the bathroom for any length of time or sitting and, and eating a bowl of cereal or, You're gonna you know, be reading something. I'm going to be reading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, me too. Unless I'm in front of the computer doing something on the computer, email or editing a show or whatever, or I'm watching television, I'm reading. If, I, if I'm not doing one of those things that I'm reading and, uh, you know, just about any driving a car I, driving yeah driving my car i'm reading um <laughs> you know stuff like mowing the lawn but you are possibly listening to like an audiobook or something too yeah yeah a lot car, of times actually. i am yeah i really wish uh that the uh the treadmill that we had I, I wish we we bought it because it has this little ridge thing on it that's supposed to be like a book and magazine holder Pfft, doesn't work with the shit right you, you can't use it plus you know, I'm also very anal retentive about the way that I treat not only my comics, but my books. So I don't want to be turning pages with sweaty, nasty hands after I've been walking, you know. So, yeah, I'm usually listening to an audiobook or something like that. But I wish that somebody would come up with something where, like like some sort of hands-free thing where you could actually read while you were on, you know, things like treadmills or whatever, you know. I'm so, sure I'm sure they'll come up with an app for like the iPad the where iPad, you can yeah. go next that next would be, yeah. and we'll flip the page. That know. would be awesome. That would I'm really sure. I would love that. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure that would be an easy thing to do. Yeah. I'm hoping that does come along because yeah. I would love to be able to be on the treadmill and read, you know, comics or books or whatever and not just be limited to to audiobooks. Although I like audiobooks, but like you said in the beginning, not quite the same experience. For you know, if for no other reasons most of them are um abridged and i 
I don't really like that. I, I like. I don't like that stuff. either. I, you know, if, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna get into something, I really would like to get the you know the the whole thing that the author was going for. Right? Yeah, I don't like the idea of somebody sitting there going, "Well, we can take this out." Yeah, this, do, this doesn't matter, you know. Yeah, because what's important um, to to one person, you know, maybe maybe different right. to somebody else. Because I always wonder about that when I'm done with a with an abridged audio or an an abridgment of any kind. I always wonder what what was left on the cutting room floor, you know. Because it's the same thing with movies. A lot of times I'll watch the DVD extras on some movie and I'll be like, oh, that scene was great. Why, did, why the hell did they cut that out? So, yeah, it bugs me in the back of my mind whenever I finish an, an audio book that I really liked. I'm like, wow, I wonder what I didn't get, you know? <laughs> let, me, so. let me tell you about my bathroom. <laughs> Uh-oh. I've got a, we've got a magazine rack in there filled with trash, you know, <laughs> National Enquirer type stuff and onions and just, you know newspapers and stuff like that a pile of books and then we've got a special you know plastic unit with drawers in it to keep the stuff that we don't want the condensation to get on <laughs> so if you're sitting down you don't have to go into you don't have to take anything into our bathroom we have a full selection waiting for anybody inviting them to sit down set a spell <laughs> Take your Take shoes, shoes off. off. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all come back now, you hear? <laughs> well, it's the bathroom. I will. I'll be I'll be back there probably sooner than I want to be, so. <laughs> now, I think this this particular episode oddly enough is going to be the one that gives people the most insight <laughs> into why I am like I am. I think that's probably going to work that way for both of us, honestly. And I'm I'm hoping, I'm really, really hoping that, you know, e- even if they don't specifically you know, ever pick up any of the books that we mention, although I really hope they do, I hope it, if nothing else, it encourages people to at least start thinking about reading, being interested in reading. But also, um, I, w- I really hope to get the same even just half of the same positive response we got to the music episode because the response we got to that really really that surprised forward, you, didn't yes it? it shocked the hell out of me because i really expected to get, if we got any feedback at all i really expected to be like hey chris's music is really cool and scott what what the hell are you <laughs> listening to and almost everything we got was was like wow you know i really like your music and it just surprised me because my music is just not mainstream by any stretch of the imagination our audience is not like the people that you see in everyday life this is true this is true. you know they're they're a percentage of the people you see in everyday life but they're distilled down into our show so i wasn't so i wasn't so surprised i was i really and i don't think i don't think we'll get too many people who are too shocked or and or dismayed at our book selection either for the most part, I don't mine's know, I, all, I'm hoping you know, that's all over the place. Yeah, I'm I'm hoping that there's a couple on on my list that people go, "Wow, really?" So yeah, I'm I'm hoping so. But yeah, I, I've been, I don't know, I've I've probably been a pretty open book, you know, on our show as far as what I'm into and all. So I don't know that a whole lot on my list will surprise people. But I, I'm hoping that there's something that gets mentioned tonight that'll that'll inspire somebody to go, "Wow, that sounds cool." I got you know, I'll have to check that out or whatever. So. But uh, why don't don't you go ahead and go for it? I have a feeling you've probably got a much more extensive list than I do because I have a feeling you're much more, uh, 
much more eclectic and and just probably wider read than I started reading early. Right. Like kindergarten, I remember. Well, I practically lived at the Carthage Library. Right. I, I, you know, you, I mean, people have probably heard the Carthage Library come up a m- bunch of times in the podcast because that's where I first saw Night of the Living Dead, for Christ's sakes, you know, or <laughs> saw UFO books or something. But, you know, one of the greatest things was stopping at the library and signing a bunch of books out. And I remember um, coming home in kindergarten with the sequel to uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory which was Charlie in the Great Glass Elevator by Roald Dahl. And that was the first book, you know, novel that I read cover to cover. I remember sitting down and starting to read it, and, I, and my parents would, you know, I don't know if they would encourage me to or they'd let me to, but I'd read a chapter of it every day or two, you know, or every day. But uh, I ended up reading it ahead you know I couldn't wait to read the next chapter so I'd start reading two chapters and three chapters and pretty soon I was done with it and it was another few days before we were going back to the library so I had to find another book to read so the next book that I got uh off the shelf was uh Animal Farm by George Orwell because <laughs> it had pictures of animals in it and I said okay you know this has illustrations it looked Sort of like some of the children's books that I'd read or been, you know, had read to me, you know, like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and the one that I just finished. And, of course, it was Animal Farm by by George Orwell. <laughs> so, and I remember, I can remember the day that I finished reading it. And, you know, I didn't understand it to the point of like, oh, this is a, you know, um... I, I don't know if it was more specifically sort of a lampoon of European communism or European socialism. But it was sort of a lampoon of, you know, basically whoever gets into the... But I did understand that whoever does get into the... Ra- you know, you have this cycle of people taking the reins of power and people wanting the best for everybody and then they get the power and then they turn into the people that they just overthrew. And I, I remember actually putting that together from reading that book and going, holy shit. <laughs> you know, and real uh, that's when I realized the power. The power. Of the dark the, side. <laughs> yeah, and then the next book I read was uh, Lord of the Flies by William Golding. Oh, good lord. Yeah, and uh, which, you know, I... I I don't know, I I can't remember if it was because of the cover of the book, but I knew it involved kids on a desert island. So that's why I picked that one out. And that one, I... It was almost the same idea uh, as... uh, as uh, Animal Farm, you know? It was just sort of a a microcosm of, of society and... and... and how power structures evolve and you know, turn to savagery, you know, and how quickly, you know, you, you, you can be converted from civilized to savage. And, uh, yeah, I'm sure that had to have warped and twisted me <laughs> to an extent, you know. And, uh, 
you know, I remember in middle school, that's when I got my hands on, like, some Norman Mailer and read the Gary Gilmore book, uh, Executioner's Song. Which... I can remember you reading that when we were kids, and I remember thinking at the time, wow, you know, that's that's really it grown was, up, you it know. It was 1,200 pages long, and it was printed on Bible paper, you know what I mean? That yeah. real thin paper with, and with tiny, and tiny text. But it was weird. It was each chapter was maybe like three or four paragraphs long. So you could sit down, you know, you know, sometimes when you're reading a book, you're like, all right, I got 20 pages to go to finish this chapter. And you you, you finish that chapter. This you could sort of start and stop wherever you wanted. So and I did this as a challenge just because I saw it, uh, um, one of our teachers, Mr. Jones, finagled it with the middle school library that I could sign out teach, teacher shelf books, you know, the books, the mod, you know, the, the modern novels that came in for the teachers to read. Right. And, and that one was on there and I'm like, I'm going to read it cause it's a thousand pages long and I got socked into it and it's a depressing, <laughs> I read a lot of depressing stuff, you know, at, at that time. I remember two books that were so depressing. They actually made me physically like queasy were, Truman Capote's in Cold Blood and um, Naked Lunch by William Burroughs. Now, mind you, this is all in middle school. <laughs> right. This is all this is all like around 77, 78, you know, that time period. So, you know, I mean, oh, we were in middle lunch. school and, and then we were. Well, let me think. Yeah, we were. The, I mean, because seven, by the, seven we were in what we were in. Uh, you're right. That like, was that, fifth grade. You're right. That was back. Because you and I met in uh, right after Star Wars, after and that was Star fourth Wars. grade. So yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> it was it was just a little bit later, but I do remember that. I remember as we were uh, becoming friends and everything, because you know we we met each other in fourth grade, but it wasn't really until what about eighth grade or so that we really started hanging out hanging together out, and, yeah. and doing spending time together. And I can remember in middle, like you say, middle school, you were reading those, and I remember thinking at the time that you know I was just impressed because that was stuff that. Not only did I not have any interest in it, but I remember looking at it and going, wow, those are like real grown-up books. You know what I mean? That You know, it wasn't, you know, at that time I was reading like Superman Miracle Monday and shit like that. You were reading, you know, like 1,200 page, you know, Executioner's Song and stuff. I remember just being really impressed with that. Well, And not a know, little intimidated, I think. <laughs> well, you know, I don't know if it's, if, if it, you know, it, it can be debated all day. <laughs> whether it had a positive or negative effect on me depending <laughs> all depends on your point of view of it but to me you know i mean the thing about books is i just books draw me in i have whatever that that thing well everybody has it in the in in their brain that that makes you it's go along with something or believe something or, you know, uh, sink yourself into it, even if you know it's not correct or real or whatever, you know, it's imagination to, in some ways. And there's, it's, it's, I don't want to call it gullibility because gullibility right. has such a negative connotation right. to it. But I mean, suspension of disbelief, is that? There's kind a of suspension of disbelief, but, you, and there's an empathy that comes into yeah. play, you yeah. know, I mean, I remember. Oh, I had to, it was probably high school, um, and I can't remember why. It, it was because 
I'd heard Johnny Carson make a joke about somebody being off the show with a case of the Portnoy's complaint. And the crowd went wild. And it was one of those things where I'm going, okay, that was obviously really hilarious, but I don't get it. So I found out Portnoy's complaint was a book. And so I said, okay, I'll read it and maybe I'll get it. I still don't get it to the, <laughs> actually. Yeah, I don't, I don't um, get it either, I have to be honest. Uh, and, but even and But it turned out that I discovered a new author through Portnoy's complaint because it was a hilarious, just wonderful book. But it was about being, you know, a neurotic Jewish guy in a in a traditional Jewish family from like his early teenage years in the fifties into like the sexual revolution. Mm-hmm. So it was just sort of the you know very very um, Woody Allen like you know with the with the same sort of humor. And stuff, and I came from Carthage, New York. You know, I didn't know all, all I knew about, you know, Jewish people was Hanukkah. Right. Jewish people have a different. <laughs> and I remember reading, you know, I remember Captain Kangaroo reading a book about, I think it was Hanukkah, where where people would eat gefilte fish. Right. That was made out of carp, and it was about this kid who made friends with the carp that they had in their bathtub that was. Oh my god, I remember that book. Do you remember yeah, that yeah, story? I do, yeah, I do remember that story. And I can't I can't from the life of me remember if they ended up eating that goddamn fish or not, but either way, I, I, I mean that was set it free at the end. Yeah, I think right. they I, I yeah, I just can't imagine that they ended up eating the fish at the end of this children's book that Captain Kangaroo read. They went but out and all... got themselves a nice dolphin and that was the end of the story, yeah. Yeah. To and, eat, and... I mean. <laughs> 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 not, not to keep in their tub. But I remember finishing that book and, you know, and all of a sudden I had a little insight into what it was like to be a neurotic Jewish author, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and how else do you get that, you know, but right. it, unless you grow up that way or whatever, you know, books really, you know, and to, and, and to a depth that, you know, you could go, I, I, I saw Woody Allen movies at that time too. And, you know, I just would think of them as comedy movies, but this book, you know, you know books can go way deeper right. into it, and then you get also the author's voice involved in it too. And when the author has a great voice, which you know brings me to my favorite book of all time, "One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest." You know, that book is so distinctly in Ken Kesey's voice, and such a you know the way it tells a story. You know, even though it's my favorite movie, it's really my favorite movie because it's the movie. It's a successful movie from my favorite book. So how could you go wrong? Now, let me but ask. The movie doesn't come close to the experience of reading that book. Oh, I, I don't think any movie does. Honestly, I really don't. You know, I mean, there, unless I'll tell you what, the Hoss... Godfather is better than the book. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, I, you know, I'll agree with that. But then again, I, I saw the movie first and. See, the only the only time I think that there might be an exception to that rule of of the book always being better is if if it was a movie first or it was in some other medium first before it was a book. Or, well, you know, I'll, from, I'll a, from t- a matter of a matter of pure perspective, if you saw the movie first, because there's a lot of books I've read where I saw the movie 
and was like, oh my God, I love this movie. I've got to read the book. And I'll go and I'll read the book. And, and almost to the, the 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 one, I've not liked the book. Uh, like Logan's Run was that way. I hate the book. Oh. Hate the book. Well, because it's not it's the complete, movie. Yeah, it's not. It's not. But if you'd read the book and then the movie came out, you'd be like, this isn't the book. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I think I would be that way. Um, Blade Runner was another one. Do Android's Dream of Electric Sheep is probably the worst book I ever read. Yeah, I mean, that I chose on my own because it was just it does not in the least resemble the movie. But again, if I'd read the book first, probably would have thought the movie sucked. Um I know there's a long list, but those are the two that always come immediately to mind of books that I was I, just horribly disappointed in. I'm a big Philip K. Dick fan, and I like that book, but I think the movie is better than the book. Mm-hmm. But they're the, they're two different. They're, they are completely. They're two different stories. Yeah, you know, they he are. just he just basically took the idea of the replicants and the character of Rick and ran with it. Right. You know, but. I think I mean, the only the book, one that in comes in the book to... you're wondering all the time is you know that you're 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 pretty much by the end of it you're pretty sure that Rick's prior replicant you know See, which I can't wasn't really... remember the book to be honest with you I, I really do. I remember walking away just there's horribly hints just... of it in the I movie can't. yeah I can't remember the book there's about the only like... one I can think of off the top of my head where I where I loved the movie so much that I sought the book out and the book is completely different yet I still thought it was cool was uh, Who Censored Roger Rabbit, I thought was a really good book, oh. despite the fact that it does not in the least resemble the the, the movie. Because right. it's more about comic strip characters in the book uh-huh. than it is about, like, like film, you know, like uh, 40s cartoons. Yeah, and, Warner Brothers and, cartoon and characters. Disney cartoons. Yeah, exactly. Because I don't think... I could be wrong. It's been a long, long time since I read it. But I don't think, like, Mickey... Or Bugs Bunny or any of those guys are in it. I think it's more. I remember Spider Man is in it, um, but I think it was more like strip characters, and that was kind of the whole thing. Because I remember distinctly in the book that Roger spoke with word balloons. I don't know that he actually made any audible sounds at all. I think that he it explained in the in the context of the story that the characters spoke with word balloons, A and word I think they had to actually. Out. Yeah, yeah, I actually had to read like it like if like if Roger and I were speaking to each other, he could see me and understand me and hear me, but I think from my perspective looking at him, he didn't actually make any sounds. He it would be like to, an I am. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly like that. I could be wrong about that uh, whether it was audible or not, but I don't think it was. I think you actually had to read uh the the word balloons that would come out of the characters, and I thought that was a really cool concept. But I remember that they all did. I don't think it's called Toontown, but they do all live in the same world. So you'd basically have, you know, like Roger Rabbit and Spider-Man could be neighbors. And I think that was I remember Spider-Man being referenced in at least one part of it where he like had his webs out to dry on the clothesline or something like that. I I really need to read that book again because it was it was really pretty cool. And it was neat because it was different. You know, so different than the than the film, but in a good way. I really did enjoy that book. But uh, I'm thinking, and you never would have read it uh, uh, without the movie. Yeah, never would have. Yeah, I, I I never even heard of it. You know, it wasn't until the the film came out, and I was a huge. I still am a huge fan of that movie, but I was really a big fan of that movie when it first uh, when it first came along. Now, I have a whole list of just authors. Well, I'm thinking, let's take a quick break. 
And we'll come yeah, back. Yeah, it's about we'll, time for yeah. that. Yeah. We'll dig straight into, uh, we'll just start digging into our list and kind of do a, do a rundown that way. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. Sweet. We'll be right back. And just reminding you before we go to break, read a goddamn book. <laughs> Reading is thinking and learning and growing. But a child won't read if he doesn't want to. So Riff is giving kids the incentive, and Riff programs are getting them the books. Help start a Riff program in your community. Write Riff, Box 23444, Washington, D.C. Okay, we are back. And we're going to go ahead and dive right into uh, our list here of, uh, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess just some of our favorite books just uh some of the things on our bookshelves are the things that we want to recommend and talk about and blab about basically so uh go ahead and run with it man run with it i'm gonna hit with right off the bat with my life changers the ones that i i just say everybody should read these books they're just you know life changers and um of course ken kesey's um one flow of the cuckoo's nest and to just a slightly lesser extent, sometimes a great notion, the, the follow-up book to that. wasn't a sequel, but it was his, his second book. Um, this book that, that's an odd non-fiction edition, but written very poetically and beautifully by an ex-astronaut, Guy Murchie, called uh, The Seven Mysteries of Life. Awesome, awesome, awesome book. Um... Confederacy of Dunces by John Kennedy Toole, the classic, you know, this guy wrote the one of the most hilarious, deep, awesome books ever, and then, like, offed himself. Um, anything, pretty much, by Kurt Vonnegut. Um, any of the big books, the thick books by John Irving are, and um, a big one that I recommend to all sci-fi, to anybody who wants to change the way their brain works <laughs> is uh, is uh, the Illuminatus trilogy by Robert Shea and Robert Anton Wilson. That's a brain bender and also just a wild, fun, crazy read that, yeah, it, it will literally change the way you think. And, that, and, you know, I mean... I could just go on forever. The the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy books were a yes. huge influence on me. Yeah. Um, to a lesser extent, you know. Well, I'll Did go you into know my science fiction stuff. No, I didn't. Is it written by him or like his it's estate not written by or him. something? Or uh, it, author his estate con- hired or something? I, I don't know what the story is of it, to be honest with you. I just happen to see that there is a new Hitchhiker's book out. It's by another author because, um, you know, he died several years back. And I don't know. I would like to read it one of these days. I'll give only it a because chance. I, I'm a big fan just like you. I mean, you really got me into Hitchhiker's Guide, but I'm, I consider myself a huge fan of Hitchhiker's Guide. Yet I have to be completely honest. That last book... Oh, God, what was the name of it? Mostly Harmless, I think. That book sucked. It really was bad. I, I mean, it, it was terrible. I don't know what he was so, trying to do with it, but it didn't work. Yeah, I don't know. Did, did you read it, too? Oh, of course I read it. I've read it yeah. a few times, but I've read it, so, like, three or four times trying to get what would, you know, trying to say, well, maybe this time I'll see you know what, what it is honestly, that's, that, that, that's in this. Because, I, I mean... 
you know, I think he that after the first three books, they sort of went downhill a little bit. Yeah. Um, yeah Life, the universe, cool. and everything was up to par. And then he did his Dirk Gently books, and I liked those books. I thought those were really good. Um, I still need to read those. I have them both, and I still have never read them. I want to read the one where Thor's in yeah. it because I hear that's just it's hilarious. very entertaining. It's a it, and it has a lot of puns and jokes on on Norse, you know, legends and and stuff like that. And it's you know, and and it's a combination of that Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy mushed in with um, you know, the hard boiled detective Gumshoe story. And, right. and they're very entertaining. They're not Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but they're 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 great fun, you know. He's he's an, he's one of those people like um, uh, J.K. Rowling who wrote the Harry Potter books, who just sort of got sucked into writing <laughs> books. Right. I think he'd actually written the radio series before he'd actually written the novel. Yes. And mm-hmm. uh, and but it turned out, you know, that he had a real flair for writing. I mean, his writings, yeah. you know, reading his books is, especially those Hitchhiker's books are is. A complete joy you know it's- well what's fun is that you know those books are very funny and and all that sort of thing yet his science fiction is solid yeah. because he actually been a, a doctor who writer um for i, I guess for the that. tv show before he did yeah yeah Makes that's, sense. that's where he got his sci-fi background was was working on uh on doctor who so i thought that was really cool yep and- but yeah i I really liked um, his Hitchhiker stuff. I keep meaning to do the the Dirk Gently books one of these days, but yeah, that that last one, I just wow. My my impression walking away from that book, it really felt like this was his attempt to like. I, I just don't want to be remembered for this. You know, I, I really want to put this to rest and do something else. And that that really was how it felt. You know, like somebody like uh, like say like Conan Doyle. Who just got tired of being yeah. identified so with Sherlock threw Holmes? Threw him off a waterfall. Else. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's, that's cliff, how that book you know? felt. It, yeah, that's exactly how that book felt. Was like he was going, "Okay, look, <laughs> they're all dead now. You know, now let me do something else. You know." And yeah, so it was a very, uh, it was a big letdown, really. He also wrote a good book, and I can't remember the the name of it, but it was about the the. It was a documentary book about. In his world travels, he'd also written a gone to find endangered species that were on the edge of going away forever, and just oh, writing a sort that. of swan song for him. You know, here's a creature that's about to disappear. I'm gonna huh. I'm gonna go to their habitat and and describe them. Uh, the Komodo dragons <laughs> were one, and it, the section on the Komodo dragons was great. I didn't know about that. The only other book I knew of of his, and I, I haven't ever read it, or I don't even really know anything about it, was uh, Starship Titanic. I've never really heard anything about it either, whether it was any good or not. Oh, yeah. Well, I think that one might be a little bit of a... It might have a little ghostwriting in it, too. It might have been something that he'd been working on. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not sure about that either. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I think maybe I'll wait a little while, and I'll sort of uh, I'll run down a list of my favorite you know, sci-fi genre. Here's now. Here's an author that I know that you like that I like too. That uh, you know, a lot of people make fun of or whatever. But uh, Stephen King. Yes. Yes. And uh, I'm proud to be a. You know. Okay. I've read. Uh, every, you know. Shakespeare. Whatever. 
I'll say Stephen King is one of the great, you know, hundreds of years from now, people will be reading certain Stephen King books. Oh, absolutely. Over other ones, you know, he he's, uh, you know, The Stand or uh, Salem's Lot, a lot of his early books especially, but even some of his later, you know, very underestimated writer or treated as just a very successful pop genre formula writer which he is not at all sometimes he falls into his own formula like Spielberg but he's like he and Spielberg are actually a very good parallel of people who've had huge success who've you know just risen to the top of their career with you know sort of very popular books and anybody could anybody and everybody reads and they're, they're sort of run down for it, you know? Right. But in fact, they're, you know, Stephen King is a very skilled writer. And Steven Spielberg's a very, you know, he's, he, he, you know, you could put him in the same, the same place as Hitchcock. And I think you could put Stephen King in the same place as, you know, a, a good Stephen King book is, is right up there with, you know, Great Expectations. You know, he and nails I know there's real some English people. majors who are going to hate that shit, but it's true. It is true. Uh, what I like about Stephen King is he nails real people. He he nails it the way real people talk, real people think, real people act in in situations, especially like very. Uh, and his characters are intense. Layered. Yeah, they have yeah. they have their good sides or bad sides, and you get to see the unvarnished person. You know, they'll pick their nose, or you know. Or whatever you know, it's it's a warts and all. It's an honest portrayal of people, which really is a great introduction to to horror. You know, right? It's it's a more honest way to to make people feel horror, whereas most people like, you know, are just sort of like these Snow White pure, you know, good characters, and then the demons come in and they fight them and some die. Right. You know, whereas Stephen King. You know, a book like The Stand, there's characters that you get to know and like and who go bad, you know, and come to bad ends and right and bring characters that you like to bad ends and you know and uh, one I would hold up like that would be uh The Eyes of the Dragon. Ah, because I haven't it's read that in a long kinda, time. Yeah, that was a really good book and it's sort of out of his genre uh-huh. in a in a funny kind of way because it's not about you know the undead or or vampires or you know some it's killer clown or something it was yeah it was kind of a sword and sorcery you know almost like a camelot type of type Story of deal book, yeah yeah like a like a fairy tale but it was man it was an excellent read and again you know it had the elements that, like you're talking about i can distinctly you know what brought it to mind is when you were talking about characters picking their nose i can remember <laughs> one of the sequences in the book was was one of the princes <clears throat> finds like this secret corridor within the castle where he can actually go and you know like like in some lodges there would be like a like a moose head on the wall or something well in this king's castle there was a dragon head on the wall and that's where the title the eyes of the dragon came from because the the prince would go and look through the eyes of the dragon and actually like watch his father in his father's study and there was one time he was watching him when the king was actually sitting there in his throne or whatever it was like picking his nose you know I just remember a very that. ordinary yeah just a very ordinary thing but you're like you know it really 
I don't know, it brings a certain realism to a story that had a lot of fantastical elements to it. And I, 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 I love that about the, the stuff that he writes. He can make things that are really out there feel very real just by the way that the characters portray themselves and, and, and act and think. And, you know, they're, they're very realistic in some really extraordinary uh, circumstances that, that lesser writers would, it would just come off as silly or cartoony or comic right. booky or whatever, you know, I, I, that's what I enjoy about his stuff. A great, because we, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just gonna say, I mean, when you think about some of the, the, the storylines and some of the ideas of Stephen King stories, I mean, some of the best ones have the most ridiculous premises. Yeah. Yet, he's that masterful that he makes you buy it and makes you believe it. And that, that's what I get out of it. That That's what I really, you know, that that's a skilled writer right there. That's an excellent writer is when he can make you, you know, interested in a story about, you know, some fat dude that gets cursed and is losing so much weight. Right. And he's eventually going to die from it. And stuff. that was like the first Stephen King book I, I ever read, I think. And, and he made that, that character, the fat dude was a very, unpleasant character he was a bastard yes. he pretty much deserved a, a gypsy curse right and um you know by the end of it you're feeling for him you know mm-hmm. and uh probably like i was i just thought of this one of the most influent greatest stephen king books to me was his non-fiction one dance macabre and, i've never read that well it's great it's basically about horror in all you know in tv and movies and books in all mediums and um i remember reading it and it totally turned me on to harlan ellison who i love harlan ellison and i was just talking to uh um your uh your co your uh co-host and also i'm trying to remember the name michael bailey yeah michael bailey but i'm trying to remember the name of uh his officer name on our Facebook page. Anyway, I was talking to Michael <laughs> Bailey the other night and uh, we were talking about how I think I'm pretty sure it was Michael Bailey about how much we liked Harlan Ellison, especially his just essays are, I, I don't think he liked his, his stories as much as his essays, but yeah, Stephen King pointed me to a lot of great authors and movies that I never would have heard of, you know, in the days before the internet and Harlan Ellison was one of them. And, um, oh, um, Peter Straub, who, uh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever read any Peter Straub, but Ghost Story and Shadowland, Story, yeah. Shadowland are about two of the scariest books you'll ever read in your life. Yeah, I liked Ghost Story a lot. Ghost Story in a visceral sort of way is a, it, it has, it's, it's creepy, but it has some just visceral, horrifying horror. And it has, I think what clinches that is my top favorite scary book ever is there's a really terrifying face-off between these evil characters and some of the good characters in a movie theater that's playing Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. And, the, and the action of Night of the Living Dead is paralleling a, a little bit of the action in the or, or it's not really parallel but it's sort of commenting on it's just it's just awesome, especially as a big fan of the Night of the Living Dead. It just I was able to play that scene out in my head while reading that book. That's one of those books I've gone through like five paperbacks of it, you know, 
where the covers have fallen off and then I keep it till like the first five pages of it fall off and then I have to get another paperback <laughs> and, and and the books that Stephen King ended up writing with Peter Straub are really good too uh, The Talisman and I think the other one was The, the Dark House they're both, which was a sequel to The Talisman. They're both really good. Didn't they do the Dreamcatcher together? I think or am I wrong no, that was just Stephen King. Okay. But uh, yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a, I mean, I like a lot of horror authors too. I like uh, H.P. Lovecraft is, a, he was one that I read. I remember at an early age. I actually, I actually remember ordering an H.P. Lovecraft through the the book club. You know the, you know what you, you would go through and. I'm like, ooh, H.P. Lovecraft, Shadow Over In's Mouth. I'll buy that one. You know, probably about the same time that I was buying the story of Star Wars through the Scholastic Book Club at the same time. What about you? You have any, uh, oh, any gosh, suggestions where to begin? you want to throw out there? Yeah, I've got a bunch of them. Um, I have not, you know, for as much as I love science fiction and as much as I love, like, Star Wars and Star Trek and stuff like that, I really have not read a lot of non-Star Wars and Star Trek science fiction, strangely enough. However, one uh, series I would highly recommend is the, uh, the I don't know what you would even call it. It's the two, I guess you call it, call it the 2001 series by Arthur uh-huh. C. Clarke, or, you know, uh-huh. the ones that spun out of 2001. And the last I knew, there were four books. There, there may be more now, I'm not really sure, but, uh, you know, there was 2001 A Space Odyssey, which is pretty much like the movie. You know, if you've ever seen the movie, but I, I think that uh, the movie and the book were being written and worked on at the same time. You know, right. it was a collaborative effort, really. But I think the book still, you know, like books do. I think the book shades in a lot more of the story than the movie did, and it, I, I don't think it's quite as um, open-ended and and mysterious as the end because the end of the movie to me is one of those ones that's it's open to your personal interpretation as to what the hell happened you know 2010 this this first sequel was was a pretty good book i i I like that one a lot it was a little bit more of a straight up kind of like the movie i mean the movie was a little bit more of a straight up i don't want to say adventure movie but it wasn't that it was a realistic spacey adventure Yeah. yeah um the only one I wasn't really crazy about was the the third one, which is 2061. Only because I don't, I hesitate to spoil it, and I hope this isn't too spoilerific of this book. But basically, the story of of that book is that Haywood Floyd, the guy that we've kind of followed through the first two stories, by this point he's ancient. You know, he's a really, really, really old dude, and something happens, and he. I hope I'm remembering this right because it's been a long time since I've read it. But I think he's part of the of the people that are on this ship, this spaceship that ends up crashing on Europa. And if you remember the end of both the book and the movie to, to 2010, that was what the monolith had said at the end of the of the movie and the book was that all these worlds are yours except Europa. Attempt no landing there. So. The book starts where this ship is forced to crash land, basically to ditch on Europa. So for the whole book, you're going, oh, shit, you know, something's going to happen. Something's going to happen. And nothing ever really happens. Nothing is done. There's no punitive measures taken. And so it was really a letdown. But par- the parts of the book that were really cool was that um, Dave Bowman comes back again again. 
and this time he actually has Hal with him. So they're both like kind of like Force Ghosts from Star Wars kind of oh, thing. Oh man, that was actually pretty cool. But the one that I would recommend above all of them, and I believe I've talked about this on the show before, so I won't go horribly in depth about it. But the the last one, or at least the last one I'm aware of, which was three thousand one. Um, that one is fantastic because it literally takes place in the year 3001 a thousand years into the future and it's the story of um uh, what's his name uh frank bowman who if you'll remember you know the first book and the first movie he was the guy that hal ends up killing outside the spaceship and his body drifts away and dave goes outside to recover his body but then when Dave tries to bring his body back inside, Hal won't let him in. And remember, he has to end up blowing the explosive bolts out of that little life pod thing to get back into the ship. Well, when he does that, he's forced to leave Bowman's body out in space. And this book picks up in the year 3001, where Bowman's body is recovered by, it's like some deep space, I don't know, mining crew or something like that. And they find him. Well, technology has caught up to the point in the year 3001 where they can actually bring him back. And they do. And they they revive him and bring him back to life. So it's one of these, like, you know... Fish out of water. (laughs) Fish out of water, man out of time stories. But it's cool because by the time this book came out, you know, we were pretty much a contemporary of Frank Bowman. So we're seeing you know, the, the 31st century through, through his, his eyes. eyes. And, oh my God, was it a good book. It's so believable that this is what the world could be like in the 31st century. The the technological advances, the way people are, the way science and religion are treated, and the, just where technology and, and mankind is at. And it's not a total like you know fanciful epcot type of future it still has its problems we're not perfect you know it's not a utopia yet it has those elements to it and I, I would just i i could not recommend it enough i really wish they'd make a movie out of it because it was a solid solid read i well, really enjoyed Arthur, the help i was just listening to a interview with stanley kubrick and he was talking about arthur c clark and he was like uh I'm just paraphrasing him. He was saying that Arthur C. Clarke brought the kind of life to machines and planets and ideas that most people would bring to their human characters, you know, and a poetry to it. And that's why he picked him for the to write the 2001 book and work on the screenplay with him. And uh, a great, I mean, he's writ, he's prolific. He's like Isaac Asimov, not. Maybe not as prolific as Isaac Asimov, but he churned him out. And but another one that I would recommend of his is Childhood's End, which is a great human evolution story that doesn't pull any punches. There's there's a great moment where an alien race that had a hand in humans' development shows back up. Because there's children being born that are have all these powers, you know, they're another evolutionary step. So these aliens come back and they look exactly like Satan. He gets off the, the 
it's one of those just moments in a book where you're like, what? <laughs> he gets off and he's red with horns, you know, and a tail. And everybody's just like, wow, what? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and it goes into, but it, it, it explains, it's just fascinating. When, when I was a kid, we had this guy who he and his girlfriend rented out half the house we lived in, uh, named, and I got to shout him out if he's ever listening. I don't know what happened to him. His name was Mark Sokoloff. And he had boxes of science fiction books. And when he found out that I liked Star Trek and I read, he just loaded me up with, you know, I Robot by Isaac Asimov, 2001 and Childhood's End by, you know, all the, the classic art authors, you know, dozens of books, some of which, you know, he let me have and some of which, you know, I had to give back to him and he wrote keep and return. So I've got all these science fiction books still that have keep you know, written on the inside cover of them. <laughs> and uh, another, uh, I don't know, it's not really a series, but I guess you would call it a genre that I really like. And I'm not sure what what genre this even is, because I find it in all different sections, no matter what library or bookstore or whatever that I go into. It always seems like they're they're placed in different areas. So I don't know what you would call this, but. Uh, the, the series of books, and there were a ton of them, like in the mid-70s, and you can pick them up now. I mean, anytime I go to like a like a used bookstore, or especially if I go to like uh, Goodwill or Salvation Army or something like that, I find these books a dime a dozen, but I love them, and I always pick them up if they're cheap enough, is all these books like, uh, like the Bermuda Triangle by, uh, by uh, Charles Berlitz, um, from the Devil's Triangle to the Devil's Jaw. I'm by reading Richard the Philadelphia Weiner. Experiment right now. Yeah, Philadelphia Experiment. I love that book by William Moore and Charles <laughs> Berlitz. Frank Edwards has a whole series like Flying Saucers, Serious Business, Stranger Than Science. Mm-hmm. But I've got a ton. I've of got them. a bunch yeah. of those same books that you're talking about. Yeah. It's funny. They yeah, the, I mean, of the Gods and yeah. uh, Heineken, the Devil's Triangle, or Von Daniken. I mean, Von Daniken. Yeah, that's Von Daniken. Yeah. I love those books, and uh, you know, I'm, I, you know, I, I'm able to take them with a grain of salt. At least I think I am. But at the same rate, I will admit that that as a as a young person discovering these books, they did heavily influence the oh, yeah. way, you know, that I, I that I think about, you know, such things like ancient astronauts and cryptozoology well, and they, all that sort of thing. They also and, helped cut my teeth in critical thinking too, because oh yeah, I saw a Nova special. I was a big fan of Eric Von Daniken. I used to read all the Eric Von Daniken books, and they had a Nova special on them. Completely, it was a complete expose, you know, some would even call a trash job on him. But, you know, it basically, you know, was like, well, you know, this is, it basically sort of exposed him as being kind of a con man guy who didn't really know much about you know the what he was talking about and just made him you know it was very it was that when i first saw the 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 meeting of like okay von daniken set had that famous picture of the mayan in a rocket ship remember he's got his right. hands up and and here's the plumes of the exhaust and everything and it's a rocket ship and they they showed a a video of him you know standing next to it and going and here you see the controls of the rocket ship. 
And then they brought in an archaeologist with the same picture. And he said, well, here's a representation of Quetzalcoatl. And Quetzalcoatl is the god of blah, blah, blah. And, and, you know, and, and then they would highlight that part. And he broke it all down symbolically for what was going on there. And this guy's royalty because he's wearing this and he's making the hand si- signal to the sun god and, and all that. And, you know, he was, and he was like, if he would have just asked us archaeologists about this instead of just, like, taking a picture of it and interpreting it, and that that sort of exploded my brain at that point because I had read Chariots of the Gods and been just like, of course, <laughs> right, <laughs> how could this yeah. be wrong, you know? And uh, and I think everybody was sort of at that time with 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 all those books and and, and a lot of those books, you know, I mean, it, it depends on who the author is and how how uh, skeptical they are and how they follow, you know scientific or or logical process and how much they're just trying to sell a lot of books you know like um um the Amityville Horror is a a prime example yeah. of that of something that was just sort of you know an extreme example of something that was just sort of concocted out of you know a few pieces of reality and then blown up into a huge selling book and and you know von Daniken was and, but there's, you know, and, and there's, but there's plenty of those books that are written by people that are, you know, rigorous skeptics of it. They say, okay, here's what we've heard about this. This is what it could possibly be. Uh, but, you know, it could be anything, you know, but we right. won't know until we get more information. And I, you know, I appreciate those, but I don't care. I just love reading those books. Yeah. They're just yeah, awesome reads, you know. Because they fire your imagination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's what I like about it. You don't have to read it and go, you don't, you don't have to make a decision at the end of it and say, okay, I believe this book 100%, you know, from this point on. Even though the authors are always wanting you to do that, they're always going, okay, now, you know, if you believe my theories, you know, this is going to, ch- you know, change your life from now on, blah, 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 you know. It's always... Well, not always, but, you know, the the more dramatic ones. But so far, none of them have really made me go, oh, of course, you know, absolutely. They do when you first read it, but then when you start chewing on it a little bit, you know, oftentimes there's... there's... Another uh, kind of, I, I guess it's sort of a genre, although I don't know what, again, what genre this would be exactly. Um, I love books about the space program and not strictly just like about the astronauts or about any of the missions or anything. I, I like kind of just the, the shading in the, the entire background because uh, a couple of books that I read that I absolutely loved and in a funny kind of way, they're only peripherally attached to the space program was uh, the series of books by Homer Hickam. Um, if you ever saw the movie um, October Sky, that was a, a an adaptation of his book um, Rocket Boys, and it, it started that Gyllenhaal kid when he was first starting out. J- Jake Gyllenhaal, uh-huh. really, really good movie. But the book is fantastic, and there's been several of them. And the only ones I can remember the names of is the first one's um, Rocket Boys, and then another one's called The Colwood Way. And I think there's at least one more book. And I read one or two of his other books that are not connected to you know rocket boys and and colwood and all that and i gotta be honest i i didn't like them as much because they just they weren't 
his story because uh, Rocket Boys and Coldwood Way are literally, he's telling you his life story. He's telling you about growing up in Coldwood, and I think it's West Virginia, if I remember right. And it starts out, if you've ever, have you ever seen the movie? No, the, I never have. Great, great movie. Really good movie. I highly, highly recommend it. It's basically he see he and his friends see Sputnik go over. So when was this? In the, that was in the 50s, right? Yep. And they get the idea that's what they want to do. They want to get into rocketry. And so, you know, they're just kids in, like, high school. And they basically teach themselves rocketry. And their experiments and, and their failures and everything are mirroring exactly what is going on with, like, Werner von Braun and his people as they're trying to perfect the rocket, you know, that will eventually take man to the moon. And so there's that element to the story. But what I really liked most about these is that he tells his story of... of it's basically a coming-of-age story. It's it's a little bit coming-of-age. It's a little bit of story about growing up and everything in this town. It's a story about his estrangement and his relationship with his father. But he tells all of this in such a raw way that I was actually taken back, taken aback a little bit by the fact that he would tell you some of the things that he tells you about. Because there's things in there that are very personal things that I wouldn't have the balls to tell people about my life, you know, cause you know, we, all of us have things in our, in our lives that were, that we're embarrassed by, you know, somebody beat you up on the playground when you were a kid or, you know, some, some name that you were called by bullies that just drives you crazy. But it takes a certain amount of balls to vividly describe your humiliation in print. Yeah. Where you don't come out on top. (laughs) Right, exactly. And he does that very rawly in these books. And it's it's fantastic. So it really allows you to identify with him, you know, and, and really appreciate the fact that he's letting you right into his life. Yeah, Jim, you know, right Jim into Carroll his, was a writer like that, too. Yeah. And just fantastic. I cannot recommend those books highly enough. His, his name is Homer Hickam. And it's it's just a fantastic story because he doesn't always, like you say, he doesn't always come out on top. Although eventually, you know, where he goes in his life was, a, 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 you know, the kid made good story in the end. Especially if you've ever seen the movie, then you know how the movie ends. And it tells you where, you know, where he went. And uh, so I, I highly recommend those. But along that same line... You know, some of the the other books that are more strictly, you know, to do with a space program that I really would recommend. Um, There's a book called Genesis, the story of Apollo 8 by Robert Zimmerman. And really good book. It's sort of similar to Rocket Boys in the sense of it, it it could have been very dry. It could have been really dry and very technical. Okay, this is what it took to get us to the moon. Yet it's presented in a very, it's like telling you the story, you know, and, and, the, and the characters come alive and it's very real. And it's one of those things that, that kind of puts it's you in It's a wild and woolly story in reality. Oh, yeah. You know, it's not, yeah. a, it's not a like, hmm, scientist. It is, there's the element of the scientists in their lab coats, but it, right. it, it, it involves some wild and woolly people. <laughs> but I, I like that story because it tells it in a way that's not, just a presentation of facts because the next book I'll recommend um, called Last Man on the Moon or excuse me, it's uh, Man on the Moon rather 
was the book that um, they ended up basing the HBO series From the Earth to the Moon on. It's by Andrew Chaikin. Excellent book. I highly recommend it. However, that one is dry, a little drier because it is pretty much a presentation of the facts. On, on such and such day, this is what happened. On such and such day, this is what happened. And so it's it's more of a history rather than a, you know... A, 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 you know, being told a story, whereas that's tale. very much, yeah. yeah, that's very much what uh, what Genesis is. Um, one of the best books about astronauts in the space program I ever read was uh, Last Man on the Moon by Gene Cernan, uh. who was literally the last man on the moon. And again, so raw. He really lets you into his life and, and his experiences and his emotions and how he felt and how he feels today. And again, it was one of those ones that was a little bit shocking that that this guy tells you so much about himself. I mean, he really reveals, you know, his innermost thoughts and feelings and and experiences and stuff. And, and it really makes you identify with the guy. And I walked away from this book thinking... Wow, I think I have a new hero, you know, amongst these guys that I already, you know, have a lot of hero worship for anyway. He he just comes out sounding like he's got to be just a hell of a cool guy, you know, in real life kind of thing. Um last one of of that sort of book beyond uh, you know, the obvious The Right Stuff by Tom Wolfe, which is, you know, one of my favorite books and one of my favorite movies. I love Tom Wolfe. That yeah. that and the Electric Kool-Aid Acid Test are Two of my favorite are on my, you know, list of favorite books. Yeah, I loved the right stuff, and that movie's fantastic. Um, this one uh, was such a find. I found it at this this. Uh, I know I talked about this before on the show too. There's this bookstore on the way to Florida, just before you get to like the Florida border from Georgia. And every time we go down to Florida, we stop by this place, and it's just one of those like every book under three dollars kind of place. And there's a lot of junk. But every once in a while, you'll find a really nice diamond in the rough in there, you know. And I found this book, and it's called Moon Dust, In Search of the Men Who Fell to Earth. And it's by Andrew Smith. This book is literally interviews with all the surviving moonwalkers that Andrew Smith could find and nail down for an interview. And, wow, you talk about fascinating, but also bittersweet because he nails the concept of you know there's only 12 guys that ever did this yeah you know in the history of mankind only 12 people ever walked on the surface of the moon here's a conversation with them and if there's one common denominator because i think people sounds like a studs turkle project who is another person who just interviews people and it's fascinating Yeah, I don't, I don't recognize that name, but yeah, could be. But the the interesting thing is, I think to anybody who doesn't really have a knowledge or, or interest or whatever in the space program may not realize that simply the fact that these guys were astronauts doesn't make them all the same. You know, they don't come off any sort of assembly line. Every astronaut was very, very different and very, very unique. Well, they were presented as Boy Scouts, you know. They had to put up the front of being Boy Scouts, but they were, they were, a lot of them were test pilots. A lot of them were kind of crazy guys. Yeah, Mavericks. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they didn't come off a, they, they weren't like off of some uh, cookie cutter assembly line. You know what I mean? They, they all had very, 
different personalities and and quirks and things like that so you know some of them were boy scouts like john glenn but then some of them were hellraisers and mavericks like uh al shepherd and guys like that so this is just a fascinating read to to really learn more about these people and where they went beyond walking on the moon and if there was one common denominator and it's very very bittersweet is the author comes to realize at the end of the move at the end of the book rather that um most of these guys have a real sense of melancholy because it's like once you've done that yeah how the hell do you top that where are you, you know? going after they're not going to mars not in their lifetime yeah, yeah. Their so age. where do you go from that and some of them never recovered from that some of them are still chasing that that yeah thrill never and then some of them kind of sort of went a little bit off the deep end i mean it, it's really super super fascinating read I, I highly recommend that one well i'm gonna say let's take a little break and come back with okay. some more book talk and somewhere before we go i'm gonna i i think i'm gonna give a couple quick recommendations to to books to throw at kids that might not want to read books <laughs> and we'll be right back. He's got the whole world in his hands. She's got the whole wide world in her hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in their hands. in the world for a kid. It's fun. It expands their horizons. But some kids don't have any books. They go without reading about new things and faraway places. And real life heroes they could try to be like if they had a chance. The National Roof Program, Reading is Fundamental, brings these boys and girls all kinds of books for kids. If America is to grow up thinking, reading is fundamental, you can help. Write to Riff. Smithsonian Institution, Washington, D.C., 20560. All right, we're back, and uh, man, you know, this could be a three or four or five hour show, or two or three or four part. Maybe we'll do some other parts, but you know, I'm 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 just gonna sort of go through my list of authors here because it's huge. I could couldn't possibly go through these authors and talk about all their books and stuff without just hogging up this whole segment. So I'm just going to sort of whip through them. Um, just general authors that I think people would really, that I really like that I completely recommend, you know, that I haven't, some of them I've already brought up is Ken Kesey's just, I love his work. Kurt Vonnegut, any Kurt Vonnegut book, John Irving, his big, you know, novels, Hotel New Hampshire, World According to Garp. Uh, there's one called Son of the Circus. It's great. Philip Roth, who wrote Portnoy's Complaint. Thomas Berger, who uh, wrote a hilarious book called The Feud and the book uh, Neighbors, which was made into a John Belushi, Dan Aykroyd movie, if anybody remembers that. All his books are just awesome American satires. Margaret Atwood, who's in my regular author and my science fiction author's books. All her science fiction books are, are great. Um, Hunter S. Thompson, Michael Crichton, I love his 
his books uh, in in the genre sort of stuff. You know, H.G. Wells, the classics of of that that sort of stuff. Um, I really like uh, Philip Jose Farmer, who just died last year. Great, great. He actually wrote a book under the name Kilgore Trout, which was a Kurt Vonnegut character. Uh, Robert Anton Wilson, Arthur Clarke, Isaac Asimov, Philip K. Dick. I love Philip K. Dick. Um, Harry Harrison, who wrote the Stainless Steel Rat books. Harlan Ellison, Douglas Adams, Robert Heinlein writes really fun books. Uh, Frank Herbert, who wrote the Dune books. Uh, Tolkien, which, you know, I mean, The Hobbit was a, a big book that sucked. I like The Hobbit better than The Lord of the Rings. Uh, Ursula Le Guin is a fantastic science fiction writer. And once again, I got Margaret Atwood on this list. And, uh, oh, uh, another author that I really like is uh, Thomas Harris, who's written all the Hannibal Lecter books. And uh, Black Sunday, I believe, was... His, uh, he's oh, yeah. just a very good, I remember the very movie. good author, and many, 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 many more that I just haven't thought of off the top of my head that I'll think of after the show's over. But those are that's a good jumping off point of of stuff. <laughs> if if you read all that stuff, all those authors, you might have a better insight into my brain for. Whatever that's worth, I don't know if I recommend <laughs> people to actively, actively seek that out, you know. But uh, um, well, let's 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 hear some more of uh, of your books, and then I then I want to just throw out a few suggestions for stuff. To, if you have kids, oh sure, who can read, who are not really into reading, that that might be good. Um, books to throw at them that might, you know, turn them out into the world of of reading that might actually make their what, brains explode. What's really funny to me is I was I was looking over my list trying to think what is the common denominator here, uh-huh. and you know I really can't find a common denominator because Good. at first glance or you know at first listen. It probably sounds like, oh, he just likes stuff about space, like with 2001 and the, the space program and UFOs and all that. But as I go down this list, I'm like, man, this stuff gets pretty far off and pretty diverse. But um, I want to talk uh, real quick about two other genres, and then I'm just going to wrap it up with actually something that I think will kind of sort of segue into your thing about kids. Um, I also love time travel stories. Oh, I love yeah. time travel movies. Um, time travel, just time travel in any sort of way. Three books I want to throw out real quick that are fantastic time travel stories. Time and Time Again by Jack Finney. Uh huh. Loved this book. Did you ever read it? I haven't read it, but I know that it's the what Time After Time starring Malcolm McDonald was based on, wasn't it? I don't think so. No? If it was, then it doesn't resemble the, the movie at all. I oh, love okay. that movie, by the way. But yeah, time and time again is the, the story. And, you know, you got to cut me some slack. It's been a long time since I've read it. But th- this guy um, is approached by this mysterious man who's part of this organization. And they accessed his military testing. Like when he went into the service, um, you know, they always test you. You know, you're uh-huh. IQ, basically and different like personality traits well they accessed his records of this 
and determine like he's a perfect candidate for this program, but they can't tell him anything about it. And through the course of the book, you, you come to realize, of course, that it's a time travel experiment. And the neat thing about time travel, how it's handled in this book, is that it goes on the basis that there really isn't like a past, present, and future, that time pretty much happens all around us. And that the past, you know, think of time like a, a river. The past is basically just back around the bend that we can't quite see around. But if you could learn to divorce yourself from all the threads that hold your mind mentally to this point in time. Yes. That you could actually just walk right back into some other time. And this man, through this ability they've determined that he probably has based on his military test scores, learns to do that. And he does it from the Dakota apartments in New York City where John Lennon lives. Oh, wow. How cool is that? And he literally walks back into the late 19th century and walks into this mystery story that he's been obsessed with all his life. And I don't want to spoil it, but it turns out that he himself plays a significant part of in course. the mystery that he's always wondered about. And so it's, I cannot recommend it highly enough, a fantastic time travel story. Another one is uh, Lightning by Dean Koontz. And I've only ever read one or two Dean Koontz books ever, so I don't know how, how good or bad the other ones are, but this one, oh my God, it was a good book. I've heard his books are follow the exact same formula, but they're all uniformly about the same level of good or, or bad, depending on how much you like him. My, I've, heard uh, my I've heard he's like steadfastly consistent in his... Oh, okay. I've never read any of his books... I've read, I read this one. I read Strangers. I think that's the name of it, Strangers, which which was a really good book. And then I read one that was about these cultists obsessed with killing this little boy because they think he's the Antichrist. And that one was eh. But that was mostly because I didn't care for the content of the story so uh -huh. much. As it, wasn't, it was a bad story. I just didn't really care for that kind of story. But this one, again, fantastic time travel story. Because what I like about both of these books so far that I'm talking about is that they both approach time travel in completely different ways, but they stick to their own internal logic. So they, you know, they don't play fast and loose with their own rules. They have a set of rules and they follow it. And that's all I that's all I want out of a time travel story. I don't care how your time travel works so long as you stick to whatever groundwork you laid down, and that's exactly what both these books do. And you know Lightning I'm sorry. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. I, I was just going to say Lightning Again, I'm not going to spoil anything, but Lightning follows the story of this woman who starts to realize that this man, who seemingly never ages, keeps coming into her life at very key moments. And you come to realize that this guy is a time traveler and that he is steering her life at key moments. And you don't know why and you don't know to what end. And like I said, I'm not going to spoil it, but the reveal of where he's actually coming from in time is really freaking cool. And it's totally worth reading. It's uh, not only a fantastic time travel story, it's a good love story, and I am a sucker for a good love story. So, yeah, fantastic read. I can't recommend that one enough. Well, just yeah. as a quick aside, you reminded me with with lightning of the one of the first big time travel stories that they always make you read in school, A Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury 
where the guy crushes the bug in on his tour of Jurassic times and comes back and the whole world's different. But, I thought uh, that was uh, a wrinkle in time. No, I'm going to get to that later. Oh, okay. But uh, that just reminded me, I forgot to mention Ray Bradbury, one of my yeah. favorite. I love Ray Bradbury. Yeah. And uh, especially uh, Something Wicked This Something Way Wicked. Comes. Something Wicked, yeah. Yeah. But, but um, Ray Bradbury, read, read, read Ray Bradbury and give it to your kids. But um, a great time travel book, and I can't remember the author's name, but they just made a movie out of it called The, the Time Traveler's Wife. Highly recommend yeah. it. Works in I, its own logic, and it, that's somebody who more can't control where he's going in time, and just sort of will, you know, at certain moments, just sort of go into a seizure and end up at another time. But it's all time periods of his own life, you know. So it's all within his life. He's sort of popping in and out of these different times, and it's fascinating to see how this guy forms a quote-unquote normal life or he forms a life with his family while he's seeing it from a completely outside of linear time perspective, you know. One minute, you know, he'll be spending time with his wife when she's like six years old and then he'll go into a seizure again and he'll be married and, you know, and the, the way that they learn about each other and what's going on is just it's fascinating it's a very very good book very very interesting and at the same time it it also gives you a different perspective on human relationships because of that weird perspective that he has and that the people around him have to have to relate to him very good well my wife who who is not real big on science fictiony stuff Loved both the the book and the movie, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think I just saw where Biblio Mike was posting something on Facebook the other day about, about that the movie. very book. I don't know about the movie. I don't oh. know if he if he said any. Yeah, you know, like I, I said, I just kind of breezed okay. over it. But yeah, yeah, he 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 had some good things to say about the movie. So I, the I, only reason I didn't watch it when she rented it was that it's got um, oh what the hell's his name in it, and I he's such a block of wood actor to me. But yes. yeah, I mean, if the movie's good, I might check it out sometime. I, I would say read the book really it's just the book is so wonderfully written and is so it's a romantic novel and i hate that shit oh really i was drawn drawn into it it's 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 you know it's a love story it's but you know it's a unique relationship they have you know he he knows his wife as an adult when she was a little kid (laughs) he's spending time with her when she's a little kid and a teenager and stuff when he's a full-grown adult and knowing that one day they're going to be married, you know, or, you know, that this is his wife. But, you know, it's just it's very interesting. Very, very good book. The last one I had for uh, for time travel stuff and this one, again, can't recommend it highly enough, is uh, one that I just happened to chance across years ago. And I looked at it and I read the back cover blurb and I thought, wow, that sounds good passed it up and then i spent years trying to find it because i regretted not buying it finally tracked it down and it's oh my god is it a good read um it's called the guns of the south by harry turtledove and what this is is that on the eve of a very critical moment in the civil war this mysterious man appears to general robert e lee and presents him with uzis and they quickly 
you know, yeah. win the war. The South wins very decisively because they're armed with, you know, freaking Uzis and these other guys are using, you know, the whatever I forget what those weapons were called, not muskets, but something similar, you know, the you know, where Single it takes shot you like guns, Yeah, it takes yeah. you like, you know, two minutes to reload, you know, after every shot. So it's a pretty quick and decisive victory. That in itself is really fascinating, the descriptions of the battles and things that are going on. But it's really about the aftermath of the war. Once this man, this mysterious man's agenda becomes apparent and why exactly he helped Lee win the war. And it's a really solid read. It's very enjoyable. The only thing that bugged me a little bit was the ending of the story is a little bit pat to me. Some of, some of the things that happen, and I, I'm not going to spoil it, but some of the things that happen at the end of the book, to me, stretched my credibility in the sense of how men of that era would have thought. That, and, and that's as much as I can say without spoiling anything. But uh, it really is a, a fantastic read. I highly recommend it. And if there's anybody listening to this that actually has read the book, I'd love to talk to you and get your take on what you thought how the book ended. I, I would love to hear that because I've never actually spoken to anybody else that read this book. I, I've read other people's reviews and stuff, but nobody ever really seems to talk about the end of the book and whether they liked it or whether they thought uh -huh. it might have been a bit of a stretch. But uh, yeah, love that. Um, let me see real quick I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy or, or this series of books Chris but I think you would like these a lot I just happened to stumble across this one day and I don't even know why I picked it up because by all rights just looking at the cover and reading the back issue or excuse me the back cover blurb it should be something that I'd go nah I don't think so but for some reason, I picked this book up and fell in love with this series. Um, the first book is called Area 51, and it's a novel by Robert Doherty, who, which is an alias. I can't remember what the hell the author's real name is. He's actually a very famous and prolific writer. I just can't remember what his real name is. But this is pretty close to my personal beliefs on what the hell's all going on with the UFO phenomenon. And it became an entire series of books. Um, there was Some of the other books in the series were Area 51, The Reply, Area 51, The Mission, The Sphinx, The Grail, Excalibur, and there's a whole series of these books. It's a little bit tough to track down the exact order of these books. I actually had to go and find this guy's website to be able to track the Which exact order. came yeah. first, yeah. But they are really solid and enjoyable reads um you do have to suspend your disbelief a little more with each subsequent book because they do begin to really kind of stretch a little bit by the end of the series but if you get into the first one if you if you find it something that you you enjoy i would say stick with it right to the end because man it was good it was so good. Some of the reveals in it were fantastic. What I really liked best, uh, the thing that blew me away, and I was like, of course, of course that makes perfect sense. Of course that's what it is, is the reveal in here of what the Great Wall of China is. I, I won't spoil it, but oh my God, was it. It was really, really freaking cool. And there's a lot of stuff like that. And what's neat is it's, it's sort of like, 
Indiana Jones meets the X Files, Dark Skies. Not really the X Files, but just kind of like Indiana Jones meets Dark Skies meets. Uh, oh, I don't know. I'm trying to think of something like. Uh, what was that movie with Oliver Stone about the Kennedy assassination? JFK. JFK. Yeah, kind of like that. And it it just goes from all the things we wonder about. You know, Whitley Stryber you... had a couple books like that. Yeah, Majestic was one of those. It was a, yeah. a fiction book, but it was written in that documentary style, and it was about um, it was about the Roswell crash. Yeah, you know. a lot of this is like that. It, it it touches on Roswell. It touches on, you know, the UFO thing in general, the cover up. It touches on Majestic. It it touches on Rapa Nui and the and the monoliths and the pyramids, and just all these different things. And it it the guy has an incredible knack for for one pulling all these diverse things that we we wonder about and we speculate about and you, I know you and I have talked about a million times the, the things that like George Norrie and uh, and Art Bell talk about every night on Coast to Coast he pulls all these diverse elements that you don't, wouldn't think have anything to do with each other pulls them all together in one really super tight cohesive package that yes I know that this is science fiction or fiction but god damn is it believable i mean he makes it seem like wow that's got to be the answer and it's from that angle alone it's a fascinating read although like i say with the caveat that the further you go along in the series the less credible it, has it gets that, yeah. well not less credible but the less cohesion like the first i would say 3 or 4 books are super tight you know bringing things like like the great wall of china into the ufo mystery and things like that. But as as you go along, there's there's a little less of, you know, there's a little bit more of where you got to go, ah, I don't know, but I'll go along with it for the right. sake of Like Excalibur, <laughs> for example. You know, the re- the revelation of what Excalibur really was was a little bit of a stretch for me. Yeah. Um, but still, highly recommend it. If you're the least interested in UFOs or government cover-ups or conspiracies or what the hell is really going what is the human race and what are we all about kind of thing what what's really going on wow I, I couldn't I can't recommend it highly enough it's it's, a, it's just a really fun read and and I, I liked it I'd love to see it become either like a movie series or maybe like a mini series on TV or something like that, you know, but with like high production values and really good acting and that sort of thing. But I, I enjoyed the hell out of that series of books. What do you got? I don't, I don't want to monopolize our last few minutes oh, here. Um, I was just, uh, remembering, uh, one of my early books that, that really, that, that always got me and that, got me into reading and that got passed around were sort of trashy action books like I remember one called Rattlers and one called The Majorettes by John Russo who wrote Night of the Living Dead that were just slasher books with sex scenes in them that you could <laughs> find them in the library and and uh, and you know the, the pages with all the sex scenes would be like pawed through and bent over and dog eared I lo- I, to, these, to this day I love reading those books I love reading trashy, crazy people like, you know, electropictography, the way to, you know, make your mind into a super mind, books like that, all that sort of stuff. I love reading that sort of stuff, you know, 
um, th that sort of stuff. But I think what I wanted to talk about was, uh, oh, yeah, the kitty books. Or not kitty mm -hmm. books, but, you know, books, novels. Books recommend for a yeah, kid? Yeah, when, when, when the kid's going to start reading, you know, a full-length book, not, you know, like the Dr. Seuss level and stuff like that. And I, one thing I've noticed, and probably most of our listeners have noticed, is the kids who end up being readers are the kids who usually start out with their parents reading to them. Yes. In, in the first place is, is usually how, because, you know, kids after a while, they want to do it too, you know. They want to do what their parents are doing. So, you know, they're all kids whose parents read to them. You notice the kids are always pestering them to read. And so, you know, that's just one step closer to them going, well, fuck it. <laughs> I'll just learn to read for myself. Then I can read anytime I want. My kids are a testament to that. I mean, Scotty, not so much just because I can't get him to read. Like I was saying, Logan. Logan, he is a voracious reader. Yeah. Which and, is awesome. And, uh, um, one book that that I would highly recommend. Well, you know the Harry Potter books and the Twilight books. Even though I think they're crap, those those are sucking in the kids, and all their friends are reading them, so those are good. There's always the Judy Bloom books were always good when we were kids, but I don't know if they fit as much today. They might be a little quaint today. But uh, anything by Roald Dahl was is just a great writer for kids to read because he writes he understands that there's got to be some scary stuff in there and some good people and bad people and you know it's more like real life and he doesn't talk down to kids but uh the hobbit i highly recommend the hobbit especially nowadays because all the kids have probably seen lord of the rings and there isn't a hobbit movie except for that um, Rankin Bass cartoon, which they probably haven't seen, and that's a very you know very readable to a young you know reader book, much more so than the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And uh, but uh, one book, and it's a trilogy actually, but the first book it can be read on its own. That I highly recommend that you brought up earlier was A Wrinkle in Time. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the best books to give to a kid, especially if you're a nerd parent, you know, who wants your kid to start sort of thinking and that to maybe get an appreciation for why sci-fi is so cool is to read that book because that book plays on the emotions a lot, but it also has some quantum physics, <laughs> go, you know, Theories right. of quantum physics. The second book in the series, A Wind in the Door, is where I think actually George Lucas got the midichlorians idea in from because the um, one character from the first book actually is shrunk down and goes into her little brother to uh, fix his mitochondria. And you get this whole... And the mitochondria are these conscious... end up being these conscious beings that... that you know, live inside of each person. So take that as you will. <laughs> um, but uh, those those three books, and they are they're like the Harry Potter books. They get a little more complicated and sophisticated as you read them, so the kids can read them as they grow up. And she she wrote a bunch of other uh, books that are aimed towards kids that are great, complex reads that are very engaging. To kids it's just so hard to find something that they're interested in and you know like 
even at, like say you have kids that are interested in Star Wars and not to knock the Star Wars books or the Star Wars young adult books and stuff like that a lot of them can be good books but they're they're also often just, you know they're written as sort of a commercial venture you know right or they're written with the author working under a certain amount of guidelines and stuff they're not really the work of an author with a vision and a voice there's only so much of a voice and a vision that they can present so a lot of times like kids will like the books that go along with the stuff that they're into in the media might not be the kind of books that hook you into reading you know like one one big um one that that doesn't fall into that category was et now here's here would be a good trick show your kids et and then get the uh the, the movie adaptation by William Kotzwinkel, mm-hmm. which is totally written by, I mean, Kotzwinkel, I think the book he wrote right before E.T. was called Dr. Rat. And it was yeah. about this, you know, Nazi style rat who lived in a uh, uh, animal experimentation lab and was sort of, you know, working with the, the scientists to keep the animals you know, upbeat and to, you know, remind them how good it was to be in the lab. And it was all these horrible descriptions of how these animals were wired up and stuff. And it was just scathing, dark satire. And he was and Spielberg chose him to write <laughs> E.T., which he wrote, I believe, completely from E.T.'s point of view. Yes. And um, so you actually get to learn which would probably be a bad thing in most people's hands a lot of like what et's world was like you know he was a scientist you know and what his internal dialogue is but this guy makes it into poetry and he makes it hilarious and he makes it you know he turns it into a a story about understanding humans and then he wrote a sequel to et called um well, E.T. and so, like the, Adventures on the Green Planet or something the Green like? Planet. And um, it's about E.T. back on his planet and missing Elliot intensely and, and trying to use his psychic communication to, to communicate to Elliot. But Elliot's preoccupied with girls and playing video games. And, you know, it turns into Puff the Magic Dragon. And... Um, it's a fascin it's a great book and it's very sad book and um those would be a and they 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 would they're both written in a language that would be you know they're chi- they're both child friendly they're both G-rated books you know completely and entirely you know they were meant to be read to or read by kids so that could be a good way to hook them show them ET and then tell them there's a sequel well, there's also, you know, there, there's there's a lot of those like old standbys that I think still really hold up. Um, I know that uh, that my kids really enjoyed Charlotte's Web, yes. which was a book that I loved when I was a kid. Charlie still and one the of my Chocolate Factory. Books. I never did read that one. It's I think I think Scotty's read that book and liked it a lot. Fantastic, Roald Dahl. Um, the Wizard of Oz and all the one of these days all I the want Oz to read the rest of the Oz books because I only ever read like the first two and I, I liked them a lot and I think I actually own all of them I just 
have never made the time to finish them. Another series I was reading right through when I was a kid, and I'm not sure where I made it to in the series, but one of these days I'd like to complete the series and read them all was uh, the Edgar Rice Burroughs Tarzan novels. Uh-huh. They, they're actually really good, you know. I mean, oh yeah, oh no, they're cliffhangers. You know, they yeah. they draw you from chapter to chapter. Um, Ursula yeah. Le Guin wrote a series called the Earthsea Trilogy, and that's a really good kids sword and sorcery epic. You know, mm-hmm. early sword and sorcery epic. You know, before Dungeons and Dragons, very well written. A couple, uh, uh, again, not really genres, but I don't know how else to describe them. That. I think are, are could be of great fascination to kids because I discovered them as a, a child, uh-huh. but that fascination has carried over into my adulthood is um, just about any book about Harry Houdini. You know, I just, I, my fascination with him began when I was a kid and I, and I find that kids are kind of drawn to that because it, you know, he's a real guy, you know, he really lived yet, you know, here he was this, you know, almost mythical character in the abilities well, that you know it's got everything it's got a human story it's got his magic trick feats that he pulled off you know the mm-hmm. whole media aspect of it and then as it gets towards the end it's got the whole um tragedy med- tragedy and but then it's got a metaphysical aspect to it where right, he was yeah. like you know um i i he was pretty much a skeptic of of a lot of you know he i think he was a debunker of a lot of you he know, became, yeah, he became of, one of yeah. the spiritualists and the people who were, you know, pulling pulling shit. But he, but he was a debunker because he really wanted to get to the bottom of it. And he was, I believe, he made a pact with his wife and a few other people that if he was if he was able to communicate after death, that he would. And so right. there was actually like you know seances and people trying to contact him. After death, so what an interesting story! Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It, uh, it's the Titanic. Got, it, well, yeah, that was the other one I was going to mention. A night was, to remember. Uh, they make you read that in school too. Well, see, that was where my fascination with the Titanic started. Was actually in school. Amazing. Um, it was one of those um, times. One of the, I, I think, the only time it ever happened where we were assigned a selection. We could actually choose from several different books. And the only other book I, think, I remember being was that part Mr. Layman's. No, that was later than that. It was actually high school, and I can't remember who the teacher was. But the only other book I remember was part of it was some Western. I think it was a Zane Grey Western, like Riders of the mm-hmm. Purple Sage mm-hmm. or something. And I was just like, God, I don't want to read any of this shit. Because at that time, I was like really into Star Trek books. And I remember and didn't a want night to take re- away, um, you know, my my time from reading that. But I saw the cover to A Night to Remember. This particular version was that one with the with the like the greenish tint to it, and it showed the the ship, you know, sinking and all the lifeboats in the water, yeah. and it just looked eerie and creepy on yeah. the cover. And I was always a big fan of disaster movies, you know, because that was a big craze when we were kids in the '70s. Was movies like uh, The Towering Inferno and The Poseidon Adventure. And The Poseidon Adventure is one of my favorite movies. So I saw this cover, and it instantly reminded me of the Poseidon Adventure. So I thought, well, this this looks cool from, like, a disaster movie angle. Read that book, and I think, I could be wrong, but I think that's the book I've read more than any other. Because I, I know I recently said Splinter of the Mind's Eye was, but now that I think about it, I think Night to Remember is probably the one I've read more than any other book. Because I just, I keep coming back to that one. I... 
of of all the books I have and all the genres and everything, um, the Titanic, you know, books about the Titanic, you know, far outnumber anything else that I have. I've got probably a couple hundred books about the Titanic because I, it just fascinated, you know, fascinated yeah. me so much. And it still does, but that waned a lot after the, the movie came out. You know, the, the James Cameron movie came out. I just kind of got burned out on Titanic mania kind of thing. But uh, you just three, re- I, oh, oh, I'm go sorry, ahead. go ahead. I was just going to say three I would recommend really quick. And this sort of does tie into the whole, you know, books for kids, because I think that, you know, a, a mature enough child, you know, a, a child that could that could handle the the real life aspect that you know people actually died from this. It's not just like some fictional story. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll give that, that recommendation. Most kids can handle that stuff. Yeah, I think I think they can. But I mean, I just wanted to give that caveat in this recommendation. But three books I would highly recommend over pretty much over every other Titanic book that's out there is, of course, A Night to Remember by Walter Lord. That's pretty much the classic book about the sinking of the Titanic. Great, great book presented in a really fascinating way. It's not just a presentation of dates and times and all that. It really lets you live the experience. He wrote a, I guess you could call it a sequel of sorts, but it's really just another, it's like a re-examination of the events. It's a book called The Night Lives On, another book by Walter Lord, just basically taking a, a look back, one last look back at the Titanic. That's also a fascinating book. They're, they're really companion pieces to each other, so I'd recommend reading them both together. And then um, the book that really reignited my interest in the Titanic later when I was an adult was uh, The Discovery of the Titanic by Robert Ballard, the man who actually discovered the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean. Oh, my God, is that a good book? I mean, because it's, it's his story. It's the Titanic story. And then if you get the right edition, the one with all the, the just haunting and beautiful color photographs. Oh, my God. I mean, it, that book... I, I don't see how anybody could pick that up and just casually flip through it and not go, man, I've got to read wow. this. Cause yeah, yeah it, I saw that in the bookstore when it came out and it was just one of those things that just leapt, left, left off the shelf and grabbed me and, and made me say, you, you've got to own this. You've got to read this. And yeah, it, it just totally reignited my interest in, uh, in Titanic. So yeah, I highly recommend those three. Another one and, that Huck Finn. Oh yeah. And, uh, and uh, Tom Sawyer are good ones. Another another school book that I don't know if it's in the curriculum anymore, but was in our day was uh, To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. I love <laughs> that book. I read it the year before we were supposed to read it, just trying to get ahead and was just like ate it up and was so happy the following year when I got to read it again for class and had a head start, you know, on that whole semester in English great book and it's great one for kids because it has adult themes in it but it's once again it's from a kid's point of view the two main characters are are little kids so ah just a great that's for more high school age kids of course but (laughs) great great movie too but great great book the last thing I've got on my list, uh, I saved basically the, the biggest and most personal thing currently going on with me in reading um, is my, my current fascination with, with books is um, I'm reading anything I can get my hands on 
And I've been surprised how many books there really are when you get to digging around is books about um, the Disney parks and, and basically the construction oh, of I'm them. I'm sure there's a lot of those. Things. Well, there's not as many as I, I had hoped, but there there are more than I expected to find. And what's really neat is both the, the story of the construction of, of the, the parks, and there's actually books devoted just to the construction of single attractions and rides, which is really cool. But what I like, the, the best ones to me are the ones that always incorporate the story of the man, the story of Walt Disney himself, because... Of all the stories that Walt told, you know, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and Pinocchio and Fantasia and Dumbo and Jungle Book and all these stories that he told during his lifetime, the most fascinating story of all is his own life story. Always is. Because it's one of the ultimate triumph stories because it, it totally reads like a work of fiction. It's hard to believe when you really examine the man in his life, that he was able to accomplish what he accomplished by the time he died, where Walt Disney World was well on its way to being a reality. It's just fascinating reading. It's such an incredible, and like the Titanic, I mean, if somebody made that story up, you wouldn't believe it. You'd go, this is the hokiest thing I ever read, but it's real. It really happened. And that I love stories like that, but... You know, just the simple fact that I'm, I'm fascinated with Walt Disney World, you know, makes me, you know, also interested in, in the man behind it and the story behind it. But a couple of books I would, I would really recommend just, you know, if you're interested in, in that history, if you're interested in the, in the history of mechanical things and, you know, real life robotics and things like that. Um, anything by Jason Sorrell, uh, S-U-R-R-E-L-L. He's written some great books. Uh there's one solely devoted to the haunted mansion, you know, how it originated, how it came to be, how it was constructed, everything about it, beautiful pictures. Another one all about the uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. And both of these books, I think, are called From from the Magic Kingdom to the Screen or something to that effect. So it's like Haunted Mansion from the Magic Kingdom to the Screen, Pirates of the Caribbean from the Magic Kingdom to the Screen or something along those lines. And it tells, you know, the history of, how they came to be right up to the point where they became movies, you know, feature films, really, really fascinating stuff. Um, a book I just finished a couple months ago. That's one of his newest books. So far as I'm aware, anywhere, he, anyways, he may have newer books, but it was called the Disney mountains. And it just follows the construction of all the different Disney mountains, like the Matterhorn out in Disneyland to the different space mountains around the world to uh, big thunder mountain, um, there's one that's over in uh, uh, Tokyo, you know, as part of Disney Seas. All these different mountains. There's more of them than you, you think of off the top of your head, and it's just every one of them is such an incredible, fascinating story of how they came to be. They're they're just marvels of engineering, and it's it's just really interesting to read about. And you know, if you're like me, if you like to haunt the uh, Goodwills and and Salvation Armies, a couple that I see all the time dirt cheap is one that was just simply called epcot center that was released in i think 82 or 83 right when the park opened nice hard you know it's an oversized hardbound book you can buy it dirt cheap um that one's a great read 
and uh, another one called Since the World Began, which was like the first, I don't know, 20 or 25 years of Walt Disney World and the whole history of the park, how it was constructed and how they built everything. That one's a really cool book. Um, one that is a work of fiction, but man, I wish they would make a movie out of this. I, I this, this gets probably my highest recommendation of the night, just as just a, a just it's such a fantastic read it was a book called waking walt and it's it's fictional but what it is is that it runs with the rumor that oh, walt yeah. disney <laughs> didn't die that on his deathbed the the nine old men i need to read this book disney legends had walt secreted away and cryogenically preserved and the book starts where um, this cure for cancer is discovered and the last remaining guys who are by this point are ancient um, of the nine old men decide we need to steal this and it's time to bring Walt back and they're doing it for a very specific reason you know because the it, it turns out that the Disney company in the book in the story is in dire straits it's, it's basically about to be absorbed or um what is that where they buy up a company and then a split hostile it all takeover up? hostile takeover yeah thank you um and one of those is about to happen and they're doing everything they can because they've been secretly it's almost like an illuminati story they've been secretly entrusted with preserving walt's legacy and walt's dream and <laughs> the two, those are two names of songs out of my rock opera about Walt Disney. What's that? Walt's Legacy and Walt's Dream are <laughs> two songs off of my rock opera, which concerns him being frozen and so coming it, back to help his legacy out. It's hard to talk about it without spoiling, and that's kind of a caveat anyway. You know that you know pretty much if it's about waking Walt, then it's going to be about him being brought back. But he is brought back. And man, do they nail his character man, because is he he's, pissed. <laughs> well, he he's he's done very fascinating because you know there there. I think that if this had been an actual Disney official pro project, right, he would have come back and he would have been portrayed exactly as he was presented, you right. know, on Disneyland television as being kind old Uncle Walt, not as a hard ass. And he, and he's not. He's brought back in this book, and he's so realistic. He is a hard ass. He is a product of his time. He has his prejudices and his in his. I hate to say bigotry, but a little bit of bigotry in there. And he's a hard as nails, tough as nails businessman who doesn't screw around and cuts right to the chase. And he's shrewd, and calculating, and sharp as attack, and. I'm telling it's a it's a fantastic read with a really good ending to it. And uh and that's about as far as I will go. The uh the part where he actually See, I'm not sure how much I should give away, but I, I guess I'll I, I guess I'll spoil this or I'll tease this little bit. His dream as he lay dying was Epcot. And Epcot, as envisioned by Walt Disney, was not a park like it is today with, you know, the giant golf ball and all that in World Showcase. It was actually a living, breathing city of the future where people were going to live and it was going to be a showcase of what life could be like in the future 
as basically financed by the top players in American industry. So it was going to be like a living showcase of, of what the future could be if we got our shit together, basically. It didn't come to be, you know, after he died when this project was really in its birthing stages and it, and it just never, it never was realized. It became something completely different in this book. Walt goes to Epcot current day Epcot as it really exists. And that to me was the most fascinating part of the book was, was Walt flipping out Epcot. Yeah. I won't reveal his reaction, but it's wow. It's powerful stuff really a good book it's hard to walk away from this book and not believe that it really happened it, it's that real to me you know the the writing and, and all that really good but i would love to see this love to see this be a movie yeah, I, good, I, good I luck believe, <laughs> yeah that's the thing i believe that the rights the movie rights have been sold but yeah you know getting past yeah. all of what you would have to get past yeah. to actually make this movie yeah i don't think it'll ever happen but but uh, yeah, highly, highly, highly recommended if you can uh, if you can track that down. And that's all I've got well, for tonight. I was just gonna say we could go all night, but I think it's about time to go. I mean, I could talk about I could I'm just staring at books, so I could talk all night. But maybe we'll do another show. But I would love to. You know, hey uh, Chris, I, I really appreciate you uh, pushing for this one and, and bringing this one to the table. Because man, I I had a blast. I think this was. Uh, I'm going to just say, I think this is one of our best episodes ever as far as just, you know, relevance. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. We're doing a public service like Sesame Street. Visit our website at twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Twotruefreaks.libsyn.com is spelled T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S dot Libsyn, which is L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. You can email Two True Freaks directly at twotruefreaks at gmail.com. You can find me, Scott Gardner, both on Twitter and Facebook. My name is spelled S-C-O-T-T. G-A-R-D-N-E-R Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com slash league. We are also members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check it out at www.comicspodcasts.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. Thanks for listening. Join us every Monday for new episodes of Two True Freaks. Future Freaks has been brought to you today by DeManzo Corps of Milan, Italy, and by the letters F and U.